Well, good evening, everybody. If you would, please join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. We're going to go ahead and give the last word of the night to the Lord, but first, let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for your bountiful and generous giving this day and feeding us from your word. We pray that the help of your spirit, you would pour out more blessings upon us now that it may be given back to you. Second Corinthians 9, 6 reads, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Many of you know I'm a big fan of studying history, especially military history, I love a good, long-winded historical analogy. I had a doozy of one about uh, two hours ago with my wife describing the United States island-hopping strategy in the Second World War in the Pacific Theater to uh, learning to choose our battles wisely. There, there are stories that always have to begin with a, a promise that there's going to be a point to it. And so I promise there's a point to this. The point I'm getting at is one of the difficulties and frustrations of studying any kind of military history from before the modern era of firearms, long-ranged weapons, is that no one really knows what the desperate hand-to-hand -hand combat of our ancestors actually looked like. We have some theoretical ideas, but no one is really sure of uh, what you might call the physics of a battle looks like. And without exception, all the primary sources from the area are deafeningly silent on what actually happens when two bodies of thousands of men clash together. They, uh, they all take it for granted that their audience understands what's happening there while it's strange and exotic to us. And so they stay quiet on that. And there's something of a parallel in the difficulty uh, in understanding biblical metaphors and analogy. It's written to a time and a place that is uh, very different from the world that we live in, and it doesn't necessarily unpack them for us. For example, most of us don't grow our own food. We go to the store and buy it. But Paul's audience in Corinthians would have just understood what he meant by sowing and reaping and the way that the mechanics of that works. It was in the cultural air, so to speak. You know, Corinth was a bustling seaport, but uh, they were close enough to the agricultural source of their food that they, they would have understood what he was trying to get at. So tonight, we're going to unpack this metaphor a bit and consider how Paul would have us apply it in our lives together. <laughs> but first, a caveat. 
regarding the analogy, uh, because it's a metaphor that's a little foreign to our modern world, uh, contained and it's contained in scripture, it's easy for us to over-spiritualize it. That's not to say that there aren't spiritual realities hidden behind the material picture, but that it's possible to treat this proverb as if it were a, a kind of a, a spiritual law or principle. Many of you, perhaps, when you hear this passage, uh, think of slick televangelists in their silk suits and uh, shining like Liberace, talking euphemistically about sowing a seed and reaping the thousandfold harvest. They're talking about money, if that's not clear. They mean, give me money, and God is bound to give you money in return. They're literally banking on the ignorance of their audience by playing into the notion that there must be some secret spiritual mechanism at work here. But the truth is, Paul is simply using a, a common worldly experience, which is generally true, although exceptions exist, to help encourage us in our giving. God's under no obligation to repay our financial giving with more finances. He has made no such promise and is not beholden to anyone. This is not a passage which supports prosperity theology. But with that out of the way, let's talk about what it is saying. Tonight's verse is a proverbial metaphor. It shows up in scripture with some regularity and with a surprising flexibility in its application. Paul is using an agricultural word picture. We have plenty of our own, which are roughly equivalent. You know, no pain, no gain. Gotta spend money to make money. Can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. At the heart of these proverbs is the idea of sacrifice for greater gain, giving up something to get something, foregoing the enjoyment of something now for the securing of something better, maybe sooner, maybe later. The picture of the verse is the, the farmer who casts his seed to the earth, and there they stay. The outer shell breaks down and the seed decomposes into the ground and is seemingly lost forever, never to be seen again. However, in time, the seed sprouts into uh, the greater gain of wheat or corn or watermelon, whatever seed the farmer is sowing. The sower isn't losing his seed isn't really losing anything. He's gaining something far more valuable than the seed. No farmer who was ever stingy with his seeds ever said, uh, when the winter comes, well, my barn is empty, but at least my feed bag is full. Uh, no, that's not how that happens. Um, the seed's whole purpose is to be thrown to the ground, to grow into something better. And here's where the application part begins. Your time and energy and resources have the potential to become something better 
and more valuable as well, so that their sacrifice in the service of the Lord and his church isn't really a sacrifice at all, but is all gain. For example, your time is probably the most precious resource you have, and since I've started talking, you're now about seven minutes short of it than you were before. By the time I'm done, you're going to be down about 18 minutes or so, and that's time spent and gone. You can't buy a single minute of it back, no matter how much money you have. Yet consider that there is an unlimited number of ways in which you could have spent that time, and how many of those ways do not prosper or glow, uh, grow us in the Lord, but merely drain the, the sands of time away. I promise I, I didn't know Paul was going to have us sing the sands of time or sinking. One of the most sinful phrases that have become so commonplace in our age without even thinking about it is the idea of killing time or wasting time. And it's a terrible sin when we consider that we're commanded to redeem the time. That word redeem, by the way, means to buy back at a cost. And so redeeming the time is very similar to Paul's farming metaphor. Do you want grain or produce? It'll cost you some seed. The more seed, the more grain. Do you want to redeem or buy back your time? It'll cost you some time, time foregoing the fleeting carnal pleasures of this world and devoting it to the Lord in prayer and studying his word, uh, joining in public worship and ministry and fellowship with the saints. Don't consider that time wasted, though, any more than the farmer regards his uh, scattered seed as wasted. It's simply time sown generously towards a harvest of eternal life. But if you are tight-fisted with it, as the sower who sowed little seed, do not be shocked if there is little spiritual growth. The blessing of eternal life for the sowing of our time isn't uh, all that we receive. The farmer usually receives back at least his seed, but also the produce that uh, results from the sowing. What are some of the other things we harvest when we sow generously of ourselves and our resources? Firstly, we grow in our relationship with the Lord when we give cheerfully. We are, in essence, demonstrating that we trust him with our needs and that it is better to give of ourselves and to hoard our resources to use them on ourselves. More than that, we're demonstrating to him that we are content in him, that we're content with what he gives and in our, our relationship with him and his faithfulness and promises. And that we're glad to use portions of what he has given to us to serve others. We also receive the joy of knowing that our contributions have added to the worship and the praise of the Lord Consider when you have been on the receiving end of another saint's sacrificial giving, the beneficiary of some act of kindness or uh, having the blessing of enjoying the hard work and prayer and study and preparation of a preacher, uh, 
and uh, enjoying the benefits and the fruits of that or simply uh, enjoying having a clean building to worship in. Think of how those result in the fruit of praise and worship to the Lord, which in turn encourages the laborer and um, uh, encourages them to further good works. And so we see that the generous and cheerful sowing of the seeds in the form of uh, good works creates a kind of cycle in which Christ is increasingly glorified and praised. The saint receives from the Lord and thanks him for his generosity by using a significant portion of what was received to bless another saint like themselves, which results in more praise to the Lord and more fruitful worship. You get a kind of feedback loop of worship or in keeping with the metaphor uh, Paul's using, sowing and reaping is never just a one-time thing, but it results in a cycle of se and seasons of sowing and harvesting. The greatest gain that we have from generous giving, generous sowing, is the gain of godliness. The Lord loves a cheerful, generous, and sincere giver, and he loves to see his children uh, being so because he is himself a cheerful and generous giver. The Lord does not begrudge the world and all who dwell in it, the, the sunshine and the rain which sustain life on this planet and make the food grow, or the joy and blessing of family, uh, or even some degree of stability and prosperity. He gives generously to all mankind, but especially to his church. Uh, the Father does not begrudge or consider it too much to give his Son as a satisfaction for his people's sin. And the Son does not consider his own life too precious to give or his eternal glory uh, too great to set aside for a time to live a life of shame and humiliation. And the Holy Spirit does not consider it uh, does not consider it too much to have his ministry be to glorify Christ and exalt him, to lift him up, to bring together a people to worship him. The Lord our God is a cheerful giver, and he rejoices to see his children to grow into his likeness. Godliness with contentment is indeed great gain in Christ, and greater than all the wealth, ease, and prosperity we could ever attain on this earth. Uh, now, it is here at, at the end of our time that I would... Uh, humbly add a warning. The Apostle Paul warns here that those who sow sparingly will also reap sparingly. And so we should consider that uh, the meaning plainly enough there that if you uh, put little into your spiritual development or the service of the saints and the fellowship with the Lord, you should not be surprised when you do not receive much back but it's also possible to sow generously to the flesh. It's entirely possible to do many great and seemingly sacrificial things, but uh, if they are not for the glory and praise of Christ and to grow in his likeness and with the hope of eternal life in him, they result 
and a loss for us. They may result in some carnal enjoyment, the praise of men, the easing of our conscience, but they will not result in true spiritual fruit. It's for this reason that I've been careful so far not to mention the giving of money. The money can be used to glorify the Lord, to serve his people. And as we heard earlier in the days of the old covenant, sometimes it was a necessity for people that couldn't bring in their grain, their fruit. Sometimes they just had to, to cash it in. And sometimes some of us don't have as much time or energy or opportunity to serve. And so money in and of itself isn't bad to give, but we should be aware that it's very easy to give money, give financially without any real connection uh, um, of Christ-likeness and of sacrificial giving in that sense that um, we're intentionally serving the Lord in this sense. It's easy enough to simply write a check or stuff an envelope with no sense of it being a, a labor of love. So let us take care then that we do not sow to the flesh but to the spirit to sow generously and freely. The farmer can't sow his seed with a tight fist, but with a loosely held hand, and so we should hold all things which the Lord gives us, even our lives if needs be, uh, loosely, so that we may joyfully lay them down at any moment, confident that it's not truly lost, but that we are laying up treasure for ourselves in heaven, we preparing are preparing ourselves for our eternal inheritance, with our good works which go before us into glory and which are the only things of this world which go on to the next, where they are the things of Christ and the work of Christ in us, and they give him glory. And so at the end, uh, I leave you simply with uh, the Apostle Paul saying that the point is whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Let's pray. Father, you are the giver of all good and perfect gifts, and uh, we thank you and praise you for your generosity and your kindness towards us. We pray that you would make us to be generous givers of our time, our energy, our resources, of our uh, financial earnings too, Lord, but we pray that all would be done with an aim to glorify Christ and to be like him, to bless his people, that we may all uh, grow in attaining Christ-likeness. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.